All right, everybody, go ahead and grab a seat. Better than that, just sit in a seat, okay? I've decided you should never say in a group of teenage boys, grab a seat, okay? That could be really turn out bad, you know what I'm saying? All right. Okay, Brandon. I called Brandon out there, you know, just because I wanted to there. Now, Brandon, someday you can grow up and say, I was called out by Robert Cox. I felt like him. I used to get called out a lot. Only they weren't kidding with me. They were mad at me. All right, you guys want to shut the doors over there and we'll get started here? Let's bow and pray to begin with, all right? Father, it is good to be together today, and I pray that the words that we say will make a difference in the lives of those who hear it. Father, whenever the scriptures were written, and you see all through uh, the, the parables of Jesus, through the, uh, the, the book of Revelation, there's a phrase that is stated over and over again after the speaker had spoke, whether it would be Jesus or John through the Holy Spirit. He would say to those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And it was acknowledgement that the ability to hear and to do anything with the message was really in the hands of those that were hearing the message. And they could choose to ignore and have no difference made in their lives, or they could hear and have a difference. But Father, you limited Jesus even. Father, you limited what he could do to the attitude of those that were listening to him. And Father, it's a sad thing sometimes that we, uh, when we hear the scripture, we don't have the attitude that we need to have to apply the things in a way that could change our lives forever and could be a blessing to not only to ourselves, but to our friends and those that are around us. So this morning, as we talk about John chapter 15, I pray that the teens from all the ministries that are represented here, Father, will have ears to hear. And Father, they'll have hearts that apply it and that you'll be glorified by it, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in John chapter 15. If you have your notepads, that'll be great for you to take notes because we don't have a, a, a projector and I don't have any notes to give to you. So if you remember these to, to talk about later, it'll be good. But in John chapter 15, Jesus says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And by the way, the lesson that you think you're getting, I don't know uh, if they told you I'm switching, you're gonna get the dating lesson tomorrow and you're getting the choosing fruit that will last today because I've got to go back to, uh, to Wentzville, or I want to go back to Wentzville to preach tomorrow if the weather allows it. But to do that, we had to switch the lessons. But anyway, in John chapter 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. One of the things that I love about the, the Crossings Church and all the ministries that we have and the... CMU, which is Campus Ministry United, and all the ministries that they have, all of them are ministries that are committed not simply to be ministries that soak up and serve themselves, but instead they're ministries and individuals who are called to soak up and share with someone else. So we have lots of opportunities for us to get good stuff for, our, for ourselves, but we're not like hoarders who are just piling it up. We're like people who are going out and sharing it with others. And it's exciting for me to see the group of teenagers that are here when you realize that when we came over on the Crossings Winsville plant, when we started, we had one high school student and that was it. And that one high school student has, has morphed into this. And the cool thing is that you guys know this, that when you have a number of people, when one person adds one person, you have two people, right? 
Some of you, I know that's advanced math for you. But anyway, for, for those of you uh, that didn't do well at math, then when you have two people, if they reach two more people, you have four people. But it begins to go exponential. When four people reach four people, it's not just four plus four, you begin a multiplication. And before four plus four is eight, then eight plus eight is 32, and, 30, and it, 32 plus 32 is 64, 64 plus 64 is 128. And all of a sudden, one person becomes, did I, did I screw up on my math? One person, so this year, if all of you reach one person, which during the first year of the Crossing Church, we added maybe one teenager, so we doubled our size. And that's, I don't know if that's the case. But if we did, in one year, we doubled. That sounds good, but you went to two. If you guys will produce fruit this year, fruit that will last next year, rather than having 150 in here, we'll have 300. And if the next year you just reach one person and produce a single fruit that will last, we won't have 300 in here. We'll have 600 more than the entire gathering of all the college students and all the high schoolers that are here this year. But the bottom line is what you have to recognize is that we have trouble producing fruit that will last. We have trouble producing fruit that will last, first of all, with our own hearts. Because in John 15, when he says, I want you to have fruit that will last, some people say, well, I don't know if he's talking about reaching and making other disciples, or if he's talking about the fruits of the Spirit, and we'll talk more about that later on. I think he's talking about both. But all of us here know that we have trouble producing fruit that will last in our hearts. I've been with you guys at camps every year for the last several years. And whenever I was young, I went to camp. And I would have these, the camp was the only choice, chance that I had to be around other teens. In the church that I grew up with, it's a church that started in our living room, I was the only member of our youth group whenever I was in, uh, at, whenever I was in high school. My freshman year, there was nobody else that went to church with us I, that I know. I can't even think of a single high school student. We never went to anything. We didn't have weekly cross chats. We never went to a youth rally whenever I was in youth group. One time a year, I got to go to camp and be around people that were really trying to do what was right and counselors who were trying to pull us into doing what's right. And every year, I longed for that, and I would make commitments that were there. And I would have this heart change and this fruit that was there that God was working. And then I would go home and I was all alone. And I wouldn't sometimes make it two weeks until I was the same person I went before. And what some of you have got, and this lesson is just going to be honest, okay? Because I don't, you guys, there's no reason to play around with who we are. But what I recognize is now as I'm older, it doesn't matter. I went back into a horrible situation you guys go back into great situations, but the bottom line is it doesn't matter where you are. If you're not fully committed to, putting, to, to having fruit that will last, you're not going to make it. And for some of you, when you go, Robert, what do you mean when you went back and in two weeks you were the same person? Two weeks before I'm making a commitment to do what God wants me to do, two weeks later I'm breaking in places and vandalizing. I'm stealing things. I'm involved in pornography. I'm cussing like a sailor. I'm smoking. Two weeks. And you may go, I don't, man, I just can't believe that. Well, sometimes we don't understand where we are because as I look at our youth groups, sometimes what I see in our groups for some of you is the same thing. You are just me in a better situation. You got a better church to come back with. 
And you do a better job of covering, but the truth is two weeks later, the fire has gone out and you're no different than you were before. It doesn't last. And that's a shame. And the first step to dealing with it is getting honest with the fact that we don't do a good job in our own hearts producing anything other than 30-second change sometimes. And because of that, we have trouble producing fruit that will last in the youth group. There's not an empty chair that is around here, very few that I see in this room. There's advantages to empty chairs. But if there were a row of empty chairs that were somewhere in the front, if we had a row of chairs that went from this side to this side, if I were to go around the room and just say, hey, let's go down the aisles, who is somebody that you know that you love, that you cared for, that used to be here, but they have walked away from God and they're back to their old life? Who would you like to see in that chair? We wouldn't get halfway through this audience until every one of those chairs were filled with a name, would we, if we were to take a name that was there? Last week, I was driving Lincoln and Gabe and Hattie, I think. Hattie's in here, isn't she? Where's Hattie at? Right there. I was driving them to school, and we were reading a Louis Giglio book, I believe, about, it was a devotional book for, for kids, like a 90-second devotional book, and on this particular day, it was, this, it was the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in one of them, he begins by telling the story of, of there are some destructive forces, and he talks about tornadoes. How many of you have been to, went to Joplin years ago? Anybody, was there anybody old, young enough to go? Joplin, when you were to see that, guys, when we went where that tornado hit, I remember going the night after it happened. And I'm driving through Joplin in a van going, this doesn't look bad. I don't see what's so bad. There's just a few, few trees. And Joplin's a lot like O'Fallon or Winsville in, in one of the neighborhoods, if you were there. And I'm going, I don't understand what's so bad. And we make a left turn, and in front of us, as far as you could see to the left and right, and as far as you can see in the front, were neighborhoods like in O'Fallon and Wentzville, and they are absolutely gone. Trees that are broke off, and the bark even pulled off the trees. It was the most destructive thing I'd ever felt. Well, in this particular devotional, he went on and he said, there's another kind of tornado that's even more dangerous, or at least at, more destructive, and it's called a fire nado. And it's a real thing. It's whenever the huge wildfires break out in the east and the west. And so it's a tornado. It's not normally as big. The tallest one was, was I mean, massive. And I think they, the, the biggest one ever wide was like a half mile wide. Tornadoes on the ground can get up to three miles wide. But the difference is this one is a half mile wide. And as it turns, it is literally full of fire. And so anything that it hits, it explodes into fire and burns it up, can literally burn down a tree if it stays on it in almost no time at all. An incredibly destructive force. And then he talked about how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were to put into a furnace that had been fired by air to make it hotter than it would be without it, and God was able to protect them. The question that then followed was, what's a time that you feel like you were placed in the furnace? And it made you think that you wouldn't survive or you, you wanted to give up. What has happened in your life that made you feel like that? And at that time, Lincoln and Gabriel spoke up and said almost the same thing, almost simultaneously. The thing that made them think about giving up 
that made them think wonders if they'll ever make it was people who that they loved in the church who walked away and are gone. They didn't know what they were saying is what they were saying, what has made them think about question whether they'll ever be able to make it was the fruit that they had loved that didn't last. You see, my kids, Gabriel and, and Hattie and, and Malachi especially, have been blessed to grow up, you know, grow up in situations to where they've had some people that were really close to them, teenagers. For you guys right now, Gabe and Kat, Hattie and, and Malachi are your age, but long before you guys were in this group, there was another group that was here and they were the little kids. One of Gabriel's most heartbreaking periods, and I'll talk about Gabriel because he's the youngest here. One of the times that Gabriel was most distraught as a young person, as a kid, not a young person, I'm talking about as a, as a four-year-old, five-year-old, I don't know how old he was, is when he found out that some people that he thought was his brother wasn't really his brother. You see, he had had guys like Jimmy, at the plant over to anybody here, who, who from the inner belt here? You guys all know Jimmy, right? Jimmy was in these guys' house four, three or four nights a week for three or four years. And they always, he always called him his little brother. And, Mal and Gabriel thought that that was his brother. Aaron Mitchell, who is, works with a youth group out in Wentzville, you guys know Aaron, some of you, you're either in the group. He thought that that was his brother, and all of a sudden one day, it came to him, somebody said, well, they're not really your brother. And it was horribly discouraging for him, because he loved them, and he has grown now to understand, because Jimmy and Aaron and others, he, they, they have reassured him, Gabriel, you are my brother, we'll always be brothers. And that means the world to him. But there are some who vowed to always be brothers who walked away. They didn't last. And that's the thing that makes my grandkids wonder if they're going to be able to make it. And so the challenge for you guys today is just honestly be honest with where you are. Because right now you're in that youth group where you're still here because you have to be. Are you going to be the Aaron's and the Jimmy's who make them and reassure them? Or are you going to be the others who make the kids in our church wonder if it's even worth it? Are you going to be someone who produces fruit that lasts or fruit that rots? There are five commitments that I want to challenge you guys to make. Five commitments that, I, that, that you guys, and you're not little babies anymore, okay? This is not even a junior high retreat. And so for you guys that are members of the group, grow up, okay? We get so caught up in all the stuff that's not going to last. That we don't emphasize the things that should last. Ladies, grow up. You are now the ones that the younger kids look to for good or bad. They're going to look to you. For discouragement or for development, they're going to look to you. You don't get the choice of saying they're not going to look to me. All you get the choice of doing is whether you're going to be a destructive force in their life or a force of development for good. And that's what you have to choose. And that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. I want you guys to produce fruit that will last inside of you. Make those commitments and keep them so that then you'll be able to reach others 
who will last. Five commitments surrounding this whole planting seed, vine, and branches thing that you need to make. Number one, the first commitment is that I will commit, I will commit to living relationally. I will commit to living relationally. And what I mean by that is it is very easy for you guys as teenagers to do the right thing because someone is looking over your shoulder. And you do the right thing because you're supposed to. I have never been a disciplined dude, okay? I am the antidote for self-discipline, okay? If you, if you want to be, you know, if you've got discipline and you want to be cured and be undisciplined, I have that in my DNA for you. But some of you, you do things because it's the right thing to do. And that's a good thing on one end, but it's a bad thing when you're not doing it out of a relationship with Jesus, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because Jesus loves you and you're doing it because you love him. And for some of you, you reach out to your friends and you, because it's the right thing to do. And a youth leader has told you, you need to reach out to them and you need to do it because you're supposed to make disciples. And it's a good thing that you obey and do those things. But what I'm talking about is doing it instead of just doing it because it's, you're told to do it and it's the right thing. You do it because you love the people that you're reaching to, even if they're not, even if they're not your popular, snooty, snotty friends. You do it because you're in a relationship and it matters that you want to please God and you want to love people. Jesus said, I've appointed you guys. You guys were appointed to bear fruit, fruit that would last. Right before that, Jesus says to them, I no longer call you my slaves, but instead I call you my friends. So when he talks about fruit bearing, he says, listen, you're not my slaves anymore. Yeah, I'm your master and you're, my, you're, you're still, but I want you to be more than that. I don't want you to have to do this because you have to do it, but because you care about me and because I care about you. Right after the verse where he says, I've appointed you to bear fruit, fruit will last. The next word is, here's what I'm commanding you, love each other. So the bearing of fruit doesn't come out of a responsibility. I invited so many people today, and I checked it off. You see, that's the thing we've got to get past, because the problem, if you're only doing it because somebody's getting on to you, you may invite somebody, but who you are may not at all help them to get where Jesus wants them to be. You're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. So you commit to saying, I'm going to live relationally. I'm going to do these things because I choose to embrace the love of God in my life. And I'm going to choose to love people. And for teenagers, the hardest thing about being loving is it asks you to take the focus off you. And teenagers, guys, I, I grew up, and I had somebody tell me this years ago. I was probably in my 20s. They said, Robert, you know, on all that time when you was growing up, you talked about being insecure and always thinking about people looking at you and what were they thinking about you? He goes, you realized you were a teenager and that wasn't happening. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, all those people that you thought were wondering about looking at you, wondering what about you, they didn't have the time to do that because the teenagers always so focus so much at all they're thinking about is themselves. And I think they're right. And so there's this challenge for you guys to decide that you're going to do things relationally. 
that in your groups you have people that work hard for you. You have youth leaders that are there, and you can be bothered with them, you can be angry with them, or you can live relationally and know that God has given them to you. And even in hard times, you're going to appreciate that love, and you're going to reciprocate that love. And when you reach out to somebody in the world, you don't have to like them. All you have to do is love them. You have to choose to say, I'm going to care about you. And you decide that this whole youth group thing is not going to be some clique that's designed to make you feel better about you. But it's going to be about you bringing glory to God and blessings to others. We glorify God and we bless others. And what you'll find if you do that is that you'll have the most incredible life and youth ministry that you could ever experience. But you've got to decide that you're going to live relationally. And that's a challenge. Because it means you focus on others. I focus on how much God loves me. And because of that, I focus on loving others in that way. And if you will do that, if you focus on God's love, all those changes that you made at camp, can I let you know this? When you left camp, Jesus didn't stay at camp. You just didn't take him home to your room. You threw him out. And if you bring him home, you can begin to go, okay, this isn't about me. He loves me. He's saving me. And all of a sudden, you'll be able to love others. And we'll be able to bear fruit because so often, bearing fruit, reaching out to others becomes this popularity game. All of my grandkids and my children, Ashley and all of them, at some point, have had this talk from me when they say, well, there's just nobody at camp at, at, the, at the school that's interested. My friends just aren't interested. Well, number one, they don't have to be your friends for you to love them. But every school, there's some broken down kid. There's some kid that nobody else cares about. But the, all the other self-centered people who are trying to create an image for themselves are too busy to care about that little kid. And if one of you would decide that I'm going to live relationally and live out this love, you could make a huge difference in their life. But if you're going to produce fruit that lasts, it's you live relationally. I'm going to build my relationship with God. I'm going to remember his love. I'm going to allow him to change me on the inside, and then I'm going to live it out in loving others like that. Second commitment. I commit to staying connected constantly to Jesus. Constantly. And there will be times when connection is easy. It'll be easy because you're at camp. You're at retreats. You've got people around you. And there'll be times when connections are difficult because things aren't going your way. Things aren't working out the way that you think they should. But what you decide is, no matter where I am, I'm going to make sure that I keep a connection with Jesus. And obviously at camp or at retreats, it's going to be bigger and better and fuller. But when you go home, you're not going to blow off your quiet times. You're not going to skip your prayer time simply because you want to play another video game. You're not going to skip getting in the Word of God because you simply want to go shoot another basket through a hoop. But you decide to stay connected with Jesus no matter what. The word for connected in John chapter 15 is the word abide. It really does carry the idea of not just to where you're not just connected, but it's this idea that you're living a full, you're engulfed by Jesus. And in John chapter 11, in John chapter 15, in the vine and the branches, as he's talking about, let me saying, you're going to bear a lot of fruit if you do this. 
He uses the word abide 11 times in, I think, 18 verses. 11 times. When it comes to having fruit that will last, the fruit of your life, and the fruit to love others, if you're not spending time in the Word of God, if you're not staying connected by Jesus, by prayer, by having talks with each other that's spiritual, that really matter, then you're not going to abide and you're not going to produce fruit. And so it leaves you honestly to where you sort of can have a disaster of a youth group. J.J. wrote a post. How many of you got read the post that J.J. put up last week where he looked back at his high school years? And if you, don't, if you get a chance to read it, read it because it's really good. It's J.J. saying, guys, man, I know you guys are, you know, you're in your last semester. If you're seniors, I really want to encourage you to put things in. Did you know when you decide to stay connected to Jesus, it helps you deal with the problems in your youth group now, but it'll help you deal with your problems later in life? For some of you, if you don't learn to stay more connected to Jesus, you're going to know how to stay connected to your husband or your wife. In the same way that you treat Jesus now, when it's easy, you're with him. When it's not, you're not. That's how you'll find it later on. And there's a good chance that that's already showing up. But you need to make sure that you're staying connected to Jesus constantly. Because connection, from a biblical standpoint... When you're connected to the vine, it, provi it provides nutrition. You don't have to be strong, but the Bible says that through, that through that branch that you're connected to in Jesus, the vines receive their strength. It doesn't matter whether the vine is strong or not. What matters is whether the branch it's connected to is strong. So any problem you have in the future, if you're not connected to Jesus... If you don't have the strength to do it on your own, you lose it. When it comes to relationships, it's weird how, how we value relationships. We, we love to be loved. We love the concept of marriage, but for the gener your general population, if you get married, there's going to be about a 50% chance that you'll divorce. That the person you walk down the aisle and vow your Undying love to will be a person that you swear in a divorce court later on that you can't stand them any longer. Why does that happen? Because you don't have the strength to handle the struggles of life. For some of you, you'll go away to college, a time that ought to be a good chance for you to reproduce fruit in ways that are incredible as you have a great time, but the reproducing of fruit will be thrown aside and your college will become the thing that destroys your life and maybe even your eternity because you didn't stay connected. Not because the campus is this big, bad place. You know, well, well I don't want to, the campus is a horror. It's a tough place. It's not a tough place if you stay connected. The branch connected to the vine provides nutrition. It provides transformation. It provides everything that you need, but you have to stay connected. So outside, when you look back over the last week, how many quiet times did you have? When you just got your Bible out and you read it. How many times did you talk to the most significant other in your life, Jesus, as opposed to the person that you have exalted to most significant in your life, your boyfriend or your girlfriend? 
Because right now you live in an environment that you're protected, but I'm telling you that protection will fall apart as you get old. And if you're not connected to the branch, you've got problems. And the fruit will rot and the beauty will perish. Because here's the thing, a branch that's not connected, listen to me, write this down. A branch that's not connected is just a stick. And a stick is dead. So I'm challenging you all this morning to commit, to commit to living relationally to where you're going to make a, you're going to love God and you're going to love others. It's not going to be a responsibility before a relationship, but a relationship before a responsibility. I'm going to challenge you to stay connected constantly to Jesus Christ and to those who would help connect you. And then thirdly, I want to challenge you to commit to living that you will live your life. I will live my life consistently. I will live my life consistently. Legitimate followers tend to produce legitimate lasting fruit. You got that? Legitimate followers, real followers, tend to produce legitimate lasting fruit. And you guys know that if you've grown up at the crossings, there's a verse that you study in becoming a Christian where Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. And what's, it, what's the, anybody want to finish that? Can you finish it? If you do, and when you studied, someone said, if, that means this is conditional. If you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. So consistency, legitimacy, leads to you saving yourself and your hearers. But when they study with you, you should have said, that's an if word. So ignore the way you live or ignore your teaching and you'll damn yourself and you'll damn those who hear you. It's the idea that legitimate followers tend to produce legitimate fruit. And it's important for us to grasp that. It's important for us to get that down and to understand that. And what's the, again, what's this fruit that he's talking about? Is, it, is he saying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, or he's talking about your neighbor who becomes a Christian? Here's what I know is that if you embrace the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you're going to be able to have the effect on those outside of your life. Your changed life will allow you to change other lives. But if you don't change who you are on the inside, you will not, you'll have trouble changing others or you'll simply just draw other hypocritical followers to you. Nowhere in the church, and this is just the truth, you guys, growing up, I, I, and going to church camp where I was a counselor for years, there were a bunch of churches there, and the number one complaint that kids had about their parents was that they were hypocritical. And they would say things, and they didn't have the small group network where they didn't have the accountability that the crossings have, but the parents of the kids would rail, and my mom and dad, they, they say, I ought to do this and do that, but they don't do this. And many times they were absolutely they were accurate. But they'd get a little irritated at me when I would say, you know the largest, most proliferating group of hypocrites in any church? You know what, group, what they're contained in? 
They're contained in the teen ministry. Because generally speaking, the difference between the adults and the teenagers is that the, teenage, the, the adults won't lie and cover for each other the way you guys do. There's a greater degree of that, and it explains why all across the nations, teen ministries have struggled. You see, fake, as we said, legitimate followers will produce legit fruit. Fake followers will naturally produce fake fruit. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is talking to a group of hypocrites. And he says to them, this is the message paraphrase, and I'll read it in one and quote it in another one. But he speaks to these people who are reaching out to other people. They are doing it because it's the right thing to do. It's not out of relationship with God or relationship with people. It's about them and making themselves look good. He says, you go half a around the world to make a convert, but once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves, double damned. Now, for some of you guys, and, and understand, it is huge that you make sure that you're inviting, you're sharing your faith. But if your faith is not what you're embracing in your life, then they will become a replica of you. And how would the youth group do if everybody was simply a replica of you? And what I would suggest in this group, in every youth group across the country that I've ever talked to, you would have some youth groups based upon that that would flourish and you would have others that would become more like Sodom and Gomorrah than it would looking like sons and daughters of God. Fake fruit produces fake followers. So there needs to be a commitment to living consistently. Consistently and authentically isn't perfect. Nobody expects you guys to be perfect. But you have a structure to where you can confess and share and be honest with what's going on, and you give the world a chance to see that and become fruit that will last. I wanted this morning to have some fake fruit here this morning. And so I was going to get, but we don't have any fake fruit because I forgot to get it, okay? And I waited too late. But I wanted to get a fake pomegranate. Describe what a pomegranate looks like for me. Um, it's circular. It's like pinkish purplish. Um, okay, circular, reddish purplish. Okay, good. I asked in the college group, I asked a blonde to describe it because I thought if she got it right, everybody would know. But anyway, that's just kind of fun. But a pomegranate, how many of you know what a pomegranate looks like? They are, they are round, very round, and they have that reddish kind of maroonish kind of cover. They're, 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 when you first feel them, they're, they're firm, but they're not hard. They're, so I want to get a, a real pomegranate, and then I want to get a fake pomegranate. And so I didn't do that. So what I did this morning is that I got pictures of real pomegranates and fake pomegranates, okay? But then I got in here, we didn't have a projector, so I can't even show you that, okay? But here's the thing. When I was looking at those, I mixed up the pomegranates on my little screen for a second, you know. I was entertaining me for a little while going, okay, I wonder if I can tell the difference. And just in that little time, I had like five pomegranates out. And I picked one that I thought was fake that was real. And I picked out one that was real that I thought was fake. What it just tells you that when we want to disguise something, we can really disguise it, okay? But what I wanted you to know that you can, there, there, there are differences that are profound between the fake pomegranate and the real pomegranate and fake fruit and real pomegranate. 
The first thing, if you go to Michael's or someplace that, when you find the fake fruit, what you'll find out is that generally speaking, the fake fruit has a harder exterior. You don't have to worry about bruising. It is easy. It's got a hardened exterior. And I think the same thing is true, that those who are living a life of fake Christianity, we're more hardened when we're like that. Whereas maybe with someone who has a more tender spirit when they're confronted would just acknowledge and address rather than deny and defend. It's one of the reasons why you have Jesus. Anytime that he gets onto the, the, the Pharisees, there is never, there is never the acknowledge and address. There's a deny and defend, and then there's a desire to kill and put Jesus to death. So that's one of the things that you need to know. You, man, you, you, you get some of that, that, that fake stuff. It is made out of wood. It is so much harder than the real thing. The second thing is for the fake, one of two things are true. For the fake, the inside is hollow or it is made of a substance that has no value other than to support the image of the exterior. If you open it up, if I were to cut that fake pomegranate, and there are different ones online, if you'd open up some up, what I would hold up to you is something that was hollow, or it would be made of that kind of foamy kind of filling that they have, you know, that's, that is, you can't eat it, it's not attractive, it's cheap, and it just allows the exterior to be supported. Here's the bottom line. You know the problem with that? Is that when you cut a authentic pomegranate in half, you know what you see when you hold up both sides? Seeds that can produce other fruit. An average pomegranate has over 615 seeds in every pomegranate. And the way that you can tell the authenticity is a pomegranate is going to naturally reproduce because the seed and reproducing is part of its makeup. It doesn't do it because it's beat. It doesn't do it because it has to. But from the exterior on both sides, you see a consistency that allows it to produce other pomegranates. And the challenge for this youth group, I never saw a more potential rich youth group. I've never saw one that has a better support group around them. And that doesn't, they, any church that you're at, guys, wherever you are is so much better than where I grew up. But all the support that is around you and all the things that are provided for you can never substitute for what's in you. And it's time that you just make a decision. Are you going to be a fake follower that produces fake fruit, that has no heart, that is all concerned with how it looks, and is dead? Or are you going to be someone who produces real fruit? So I'm asking you guys to commit today to commit to living relationally, to where you're loving God and you're loving others, to where you're staying connected constantly, you're plugged into the vine and the branches. You're living your life consistently, not perfectly. And then fourthly, 
that you'll sow the seed generously. In the parable of the soils, which some of you may be familiar with, the Bible says that there's four kinds of soil. There's one that is so hard that as soon as the seed hits it, the birds come and gather it before it can even begin to take root. And he says, some of you are like that. For some of you today, as I sow this seed, the seed is hitting your heart and it is not penetrating at all and the devil is waiting to take it away so he can have you as you are for now and forever. This is another kind of soil, it's one that's shallow and you get excited when you hear it, but you don't last because you don't have much depth. He said there's another kind that's great soil, but it's got so much crap in it, concern for looking good and being good and popularity and the concerns of their life, it chokes out the word of God. And then the fourth one is this kind of soil that's good that reproduces a crop, sometimes 30, sometimes 60, sometimes 100. And here's the thing, the sower, when he goes out, sows the seed on all four soils. Why? Because you can't determine you can't determine who is going to listen and who's not going to. I am the guy that nobody thought was listening. And that's not because I'm not going those guys were wrong. I was, I was always this exterior guy who was trying to look like I had it together. And I was so bad at it that they could see that, man, things were falling apart. And they just didn't think I cared at all. And except for a handful of people at a church camp, who in spite of the weakness that I had, believed in me and continued to sow the seed of God's word. Sow on all the fields. Understand, guys, you're not simply called to sow the seed on the people you like. And there are people that are like you. Now that will be where you sow the most seed because that's what you're all around. But you're sowing your seed not on the people you love, but on the people God loves, and that's everybody. So get out of your stupid little cliques at school. Whether it be the wrestler's clique, the cheerleader's clique, the science club clique, whatever it is, get out of that clique and start sowing the seed generously. Start looking for people that nobody else cares for the way Jesus did. And I am telling you, I've said this to my grandkids, they've heard it, my Carrie and Ashley heard it, uh, there's just nobody interested in my school. No, that's not the problem. Nobody is interested in your school that you're interested in having come with you. Because this is about who you like, not about who Jesus likes. And so know the people that are snotty, self-righteous, don't care about God people that you tend to hang around with aren't interested. So how about making a change? Because at every school, there's a broken down kid who's thinking about killing himself because he thinks nobody likes him, has no idea that God loves him and have plans for him. And we're too busy just focusing our seed on the few that we like. You guys aren't little kids anymore. Within a few years, you guys literally, within 10 years, you'll be as old as most of the people that came on the Wentzville church plant. Sow the seed like crazy. Invite everybody you can. And I'm not talking about being an idiot who's just standing on a street corner. I'm saying just use every opportunity to the kids that are good, to the kids that are bad, to the kids that are rich, to the kids that are poor, to the kids that are popular, to the kids that are scorned. 
Let the one consistency be in your school that you're going to be the people like Jesus who reach to all of them. And I'm honest, guys, with me, my insecurity kept me from doing that. And we've got to step out of our snobbish insecurity and start caring the way Jesus did. And then finally, number five, you'll commit to this. And we've said you're going to commit to living relationally, commit to staying connected constantly, commit to living my life consistently, commit to sowing the seed generously, and finally, commit to tending the soil and the seed carefully. Because one of the reasons people don't last is because we act as if birth is the end of their life. We study the Bible with them, we treat them really well, and they become Christians, and we sort of think, okay, they've arrived, and we go do our own thing. You see, there's a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, where Paul wrote this down. Paul says, I may have done the planting and Apollos the watering, but it was God who made the seed grow. The planter and the water are nothing compared to him who gives life to the seed. Planter and water are alike insignificant, though each will be recorded according to their particular work. Now, what he says is, guys, whenever you go out, don't think that you can give life. Only God can give life. But you can take life, and you can destroy life. And he says, here's what you do to give life. Number one, somebody plants. He said, Paul planted. I planted. Someone else watered. That was Apollos. If you were to follow the analogy on down, someone else pulled the weeds. A guy named Timothy was sent out by Paul to existing churches to where they had problems. And the guy went in to say, no, we got to pull some of this out. you got to stop that. But for just a moment, imagine those four soils that Jesus talked about in the parable of the soils. The one is the way where the wagons would ride. And in the day back then, it was just clay. And you've ever, if you've been on a farm trail, you know that the trails are not made with gravel or blacktop or concrete. They're just wore down by the tractors or the wagons, whenever the cows would be on, you know, walking there. And that soil becomes so hard that seed can't even penetrate it to spring up. That's some of your friends. That doesn't mean you give up on them. Can you think of a way that you could make hard soil soft? What might you do if you had some really hard soil and you wanted to soften it? Put water on it. Aha, good answer, which is exactly what Apollos did. What happens if you've got that shallow soil that you've got good soil, but then it's hard, there's junk in their lives that are really, really difficult to deal with? Well, then you might, if you're a farmer, you don't give up on the ground. You get a pickaxe out, and you may have to be, you don't just pour water on it. You take a hoe to it or a pickaxe, and you break up the soil. What happens if you've got some great soil, but there's all kinds of bad stuff, weeds and stuff in it? You pull weeds. And what God is challenging you guys is to not give up on your friends. Not to give up on those kids that are hurting. Because some of those kids that are hurting were you 10 years ago and your parents 20 years ago. Most of you know who Janice Wade is, right? Janice was hard soil. How many of you know Janice Wade at the crossings? Janice heads our Manasseh Ministries. 
Janice has helped more ladies who have been, went through sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse, and men also through her ministry. She was a hard-hearted and hard-headed girl. She became a Christian at SIU Edwardsville. For those of you that are on the Collinsville plant, raise your hand if you're from Collinsville. It's cool to know for you guys that Janice became a Christian on the college where you guys are going to be ministering, right? But now people know Janice as this lady who helps people deal with their problems, but they don't know how hard she was. Janice, when she first came around, started studying the Bible and then decided, I don't want to do this. I want to do what I want to. Then she realizes how desperate she is or that her life really sucks and that she's really not having any good happen, so she comes back to church. Janice is the only person, I've been preaching for over 40 years, and you know how some people shout out, amen, or that's right. You ever hear somebody do that? And you kind of look at them, what are they saying? Janice is the only one who shouted out something derogatory in a sermon. <laughs> Literally, in a church auditorium about this size, Janice would have been sitting back around where, is that Shanice back there? I can't tell if that's Shanice. She's got a mask on. The mask lady next to Evan. The mask lady next to the bearded man. Hey, we got a circus going on here. But anyway, that's where Janice is. And I'm preaching on a Sunday morning, and I make some point about the love of God, and out loud and clear comes this. You're full of shit. Yeah. That didn't bother me as much as when Rita said amen. But anyway, uh, you know, that, that was kind of crushing me. Rita, how can you agree? But that's Janice. But nobody gave up on her. My response that morning was, you may be right, but this is true. We've had people that have so been caught up with weeds in their life, not weed, but we've had that too, but weeds in their lives that you would think they'd never be able to break free from sexual addiction to compulsive behaviors. And people just pulled weeds with them. But here's the thing, you won't do that unless you're living relationally, loving God and loving them. Do you realize you guys literally are? When we have our next vision, our 10-year, we set out a 10-year vision in 2010 to plant three churches by the time 2020 came around, and we accomplished that. When we do our 2030 to 20, 2020, 2030 vision, do you guys realize you will be the age during that time of 90% of the people that went out on the church plants to lead or to populate them. And my question is, are you going to do that? God has called you that. When Jesus speaks with these guys, he says, listen, what you need to know is you didn't choose me, I chose you. He's not saying that they didn't have to choose him. What he is saying is, because if, have you ever, you know, chose Jesus? For me, I chose Jesus and I thought, man, I, I don't think Jesus really wants me. I'm too messed up. What he is saying to the apostles and guys like me is, no, the problem is that don't ever think that you're not cut out for this. I chose you. So rather than whining about me, not you not being able, trust me, I chose you. Now get busy and go produce fruit that will last. And what I'm telling you for your insecurities, for all the things that you struggle with, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how much you've struggled, God is here today telling you, guys, I've chose you to produce fruit that will last. Now get about the business now and let me do the amazing things through your life that I chose you for. And I'm going to ensure that you do. 
Can you imagine when we come back someday and you guys are teaching the classes and rather than having hundreds, there's thousands. Rita and I drove up to this motel and I said, Rita, do you ever think that there would be a time, do you think people ever thought there'd be a time when we would sell out that motel, 115 rooms and additionals in another one for a campus retreat and for a marriage retreat? And Rita said, I'm not sure. I said, babe, do you think I would have thought that? And I said, because I think if somebody would have said, do you ever think that will happen? I would have said, yes. And do I ever think we'll have thousands? Yes, I do. Not because of me, but because of you all. And because of Jesus. Trust him and get about the business you're called to. Let's pray. Father, I love our teenagers. And Father, I get so concerned because I see in the middle of a much better situation, some of the same struggles I had. Father, I know that no matter where I was, I could have damned myself to an eternity away from you in a life that was broken. Father, even when I went to a church that was stronger, I watched people like me make choices that resulted in the destruction of their marriage, their relationships, and of their life. And Father, I came to this conclusion that while the environment we're in are really, it's super significant where we are placed and where we are planted. But Father, if we're not the right kind of seed, it doesn't matter. Father, the great news is that you can change our very essence. So Father, I pray you'll work in the teenagers' lives. Help them to know that we're in this together, that you chose us to do this because you know we could. You loved us and you needed us to work for you. And help this weekend to be the weekend that we really get serious about producing fruit that is good in ourselves and fruit that will last in others. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.